Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. This is the new John Girardi Show on Power Talk 96.7 and AM 1400. Leniency when it comes to marijuana is kind of a dogma now on the left. That basically the enforcement of marijuana laws was little more than a a subtle attempt at incarcerating as many black men as possible. That, That is the dogma on the left. That marijuana laws, laws restricting marijuana are wrong. That marijuana is totally fine. There's nothing wrong with marijuana usage. The criminalization of marijuana was really a criminalization of black men. President Biden just issued pardons for anyone convicted of federal marijuana possession charges. He's encouraging governors throughout the states uh, to issue statewide pardons for anyone convicted of marijuana possession charges. This is the dogma on the left. And marijuana was sold to... Various states, recreational marijuana legalization was sold to various states with a number of different pitches. One was the liberal pitch of this is, you know, uh, this criminalizes black men. This is wrong and marijuana is not that bad. But then there was the big libertarian sales pitch that got enough Republicans and conservative leaning or independent leaning people on board which was, hey, it's harmless. Why don't we just legalize it and then we can tax it and we can have some revenue. And that really got the attention of state governments and local governments. Because state governments and local governments, one thing that characterizes them is this greedy acquisitiveness for more revenue. State and local governments cannot just print money and spend into the red the way the federal government can. They really, at the end of the day, have to kind of balance their budgets. They have to keep their spending down. So if you can offer them a new source of revenue without having to increase income taxes or increase, you know, generalized taxes on the whole community, if a politician can get a new source of revenue without having to increase taxes on people, he or she will jump at that opportunity. And this is how legal marijuana has been pitched to otherwise very conservative cities in the San Joaquin Valley, for example. Uh, This is how legal marijuana was pitched in state after state and county after county, city after city here in California and at the statewide level in California. It's this. So you basically you combine some kind of libertarian leaning ideas to get the Republicans on board. You throw some liberal ideas to get the Democrats on board and The pitch being, we can get revenue for our local governments by allowing legalized marijuana, which we can control, which we can tax, and we can get a bunch of revenue. It'll just be a boon for the economy. It'll be a boon for the local government. Well, here's the problem. 
which the Attorney General of California, Rob Bonta, a dyed-in-the-wool lefty, a, 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 a as, as hardcore a left-winger as you can get. My wife despises Rob Bonta with every fiber of her being because for some reason, she somehow got on an email list to receive updates from Rob from the Attorney General's office in Rob Bonta. She doesn't know how she got on this list. And every week, Rob Bonta sends in, who is a middle-aged attorney. Part of his weekly email is the TikTok of the week. Which is like, first of all, you're a middle-aged attorney. Like, there's no way you have just found this TikTok. Secondly, it's like, you're the California Attorney General. There have been, like, massive public warnings issued about TikTok and its connection with the Chinese government and the security of data on TikTok, but I think because conservatives have criticized it, therefore liberals think that they should be all super pro TikTok. Um, don't let your kids have TikTok. Uh, it's a bad idea. Anyway, my wife absolutely despises Rob Bonta with every fiber of her being, and with reason. He's a extremely left-wing, uh, aggressively left-wing politician. So... In spite of this dogma that, oh, marijuana, you know, charging people with marijuana crimes is bad, liberal, well, here's the problem. The whole crux of how they sold the legalized recreational marijuana argument, the whole argument was sold on this basis. If we legalize marijuana, if we legalize recreational weed, we can tax it and we can generate revenue for local governments for it. That was like the underlying premise for the whole thing. Well, here's the problem. Weed users often don't have a lot of money. And they're also kind of okay with breaking the law. Like, they were smoking weed before it was legal, recreationally. And they did that illegally for years with very little, with very few problems. It was quite easy to do. Okay, it was quite easy to find someone to sell you weed and buy weed from them in an illegal but rarely interfered with by the law enforcement authorities transaction. So, if you're a pot smoker, instead of paying the premium at a cannabis dispensary for legal weed whose cost has been inflated by the fact that you're also paying for a certain amount of tax instead of paying that premium why don't you go to some enterprising young man on a street corner who is selling marijuana on the sly illegally and is able to charge less money because he doesn't have to pay california marijuana sales tax Aha, says the young pothead, pot smoker. I think I will go to this illegal person and pay less money rather than more money. Why? Because it's highly unlikely I will get caught. I will pay less money and I will still get high. And thus, after the legalization of recreational marijuana whole policy is kind of falling apart because 
I mean, what was one of the premises? Uh, Another one of the premises on which legal weed was sold is rather than having an illegal underground drug market, let's just bring the sale of drugs out in the open. We'll just have it at dispensaries. No one has to go to buy something illegally, risk getting caught, risk, you know, we don't have to do that anymore. Just have weed available at a dispensary and then people can just go there. That, you know, just get it out of the context of criminal law and criminal law enforcement and cops and being arrested. Like, get it out of that whole area. Just bring it out in the open. Everyone's adults here. We've all smoked a doob in college. So let's let's just sell. I did not smoke a doob in college. Uh, But let's just put it out in the open. And then we don't have to worry about an illegal marijuana market. Wrong. Wrong. Here's the story in the B. California Attorney General Rob Bonta on Tuesday announced an overhaul of his office's illegal marijuana enforcement program with a new emphasis on issues like environmental damage, tax evasion, and organized crime. Organized crime we now have selling illegal weed. Not disorganized random dudes. Organized crime. Bonta, a Democrat who is running for election... to his first full term next month, announced that the Department of Justice's annual summer-long campaign against marijuana planting is being upgraded to a year-round program to be and renamed the Eradication and Prevention of Illicit Cannabis, or EPIC. He also announced the results of the 2022 camp action. More than 973,000 plants eradicated more than 203,000 pounds of illegally processed cannabis, and 184 weapons seized across 449 operations in 26 counties around the state. So, after having legal weed for years in California now, he's initiating criminal investigative and enforcement programs that are seizing 203,000 pounds of illegal marijuana. In addition, law enforcement found people who were victims of human trafficking, Bonta said. So now, so after legalizing marijuana, we have in this state criminals. We've got organized crime organizations with guns, with human trafficking victims, with 203,000 pounds of marijuana, just the stuff that we've seized. I mean, how can we look at legalized marijuana as some kind of grand success? Bonta says, uh, in it, so they're, they're talking about uh, these criminals who have, they've had victims of human trafficking who've been discovered. They are cogs in a much bigger, more organized machine. And to be clear, they are being exploited, said Bonta. Uh, the CAMP program which has been around since the early 80s, is comprised of local, state, and federal law enforcement agencies that work to uncover and eradicate the illegal cannabis that fuels a multi-billion dollar industry in California. So, in spite of legalized weed, we still have a multi-billion dollar illegal marijuana industry in California. Last year, Camp eradicated nearly 1.2 million illegally cultivated marijuana plants during nearly 500 operations. At the time, Bonta announced that his office would conduct a six-month review of Camp in light of changes to the law since the program was first initiated, 
with the goal of building on existing efforts to address the environmental, labor, and economic impacts of illegal cultivation. Bonta said that EPIC, the new program, will focus on environmental damage, labor exploitation, and tax evasion, and organized crime. EPIC represents an important shift in mindset and in mission to reflect some of the gravest harms, most egregious harms arising from these illegal operations. I don't think it's really the environmental harm that's the biggest thing here. I think probably the human trafficking and the guns and all that is probably the worst part. The Attorney General said that the change is necessary because the law and culture around marijuana has changed since camp first began. So anyway, blah, 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 blah. No comment anywhere in this piece on... Hey, California's had legalized recreational pot since 2016. And here we are six years later with massive, massive problems where we have to create whole new enforcement mechanisms, enforcement mechanisms. So, yeah, we're not I guess we're not cracking down on people for simple possession. But the war on drugs has apparently not even been influenced by the legalization of marijuana. Not even influenced by it. But like, if you still have organized crime, distributing weed all over the state, where we're only seizing 203,000 pounds of it, meaning there's probably a ton we have not seized. Obviously, there's a ton we haven't seized. Organized crime with guns, with human trafficking victims. You have to say it's six years now. We've had legalized recreational marijuana for six years. This is an unbelievable, catastrophic failure of one of the signature, one of the signature selling points of recreational weed was that this kind of thing would stop, that the illegal market would crater, and it just hasn't. It's a, it continues to be a huge problem and a huge law enforcement, it has to be a huge law enforcement priority because here we have a huge article about it in the B. When we return... Stuff I hate about libertarianism. Next on the John Girardi Show. The John Girardi Show. Power Talk 96.7 and AM 1400. I despise libertarianism and this latest thing with marijuana is sort of exhibit number 8 billion why I dislike libertarianism. Now, I know a lot of you sitting here, conservatives have had a lot of kind of interplay with amongst libertarians for a very, very long time. Uh, Conservatives and libertarians sort of made common cause for the last 50 or 60 years. And so there are a lot of conservatives who sort of view themselves as libertarians, as as libertarian leaning. And certainly there are a lot of libertarian-based critiques of you know, inefficient federal government bureaucracies and things of that sort, to which I am sympathetic. The libertarian uh, hatred of public schools I share, though for probably rooted in certain different reasons. So I'm not, I I, I don't hate libertarians. Maybe it's libertarianism. But this this marijuana thing is sort of really kind of one of the big exhibits for why I am so suspicious of libertarianism. Libertarianism has, at its core, this notion of human 
non-interdependence, this notion of every human being being an island unto his or, his or herself, and that individual freedom being the absolute maximal ordering principle of all of life. So from a strict libertarian mindset, the regulation of any drug is nonsensical. Everyone should be able to use whatever drugs they want whenever they want. Um, that's that's certainly the sort of doctrinaire libertarianism and maybe the soft libertarianism as well. You know, maybe cocaine kind of is really, really bad. But certainly marijuana. Certainly marijuana should be totally fine. It's totally fine for you. And I guess I just reject this underlying premise that maximal individual human freedom and individual choice, uh, I guess I reject that underlying premise that that's sort of the ultimate good here. Libertarianism is kind of rooted in the Enlightenment philosophy of you know the 16th century onward and political thinkers like Rousseau and others who... Basically, they rejected the notion that we can identify a singular good towards which mankind is ordered, that we can identify an objective morality towards which all men are ordered, a single human nature that has a single end goal, a single end good that we can actually define, that everyone is too varied, everyone's too different, everyone disagrees so much on what is the good see all the wars of religion between Catholics and Protestants or whatnot. Uh, and thus we should, the, the role of government is sort of negative. Give everyone their space to choose the good absolutely for themselves. But here's the problem is I do think there are certain objective goods. I do think morality is objectively knowable. I think there is such a thing as a human nature with goods towards which we are ordered. And I'm not going to throw up my hands in despair on that point, just because people disagree. I, I do actually think that there are some things that are good towards which we are ordered. And that governments can legitimately create laws to help further people towards those ends. I do believe that. I think that we all kind of deep down really do believe that. I think there are very few of us who would genuinely say in this libertarian mindset that everyone's completely an island under themselves. So if you want to shoot yourself up full of drugs, go for it. If you want to hire prostitutes, as long as everyone's consenting, absolutely go for it. If you want to blah, 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 do this, that, or the other, as long as everyone's consenting, absolutely fine. No matter the social wreckage that happens around it, no matter how much it absolutely destroys your ability, your family ties, your social ties, your relationships to your friends. Marijuana usage is really bad, just as the excessive usage of alcohol in late 19th, early 20th century America was really bad. Like, here's the thing to think about. Everyone sort of today poo-poos the people who put prohibition in place. And they say, look at how stupid they were. What a stupid, silly thing to ban alcohol. Alcoholism rates at the end of the 19th century and in the early 20th century were so staggeringly high. It was unfathomable how much the average American drank. It was this massive social problem. Why do you think people had the 
the, the enthusiasm behind them to ban it. Because they saw it. This was a massive social problem. It had massive problems on families, on productivity, on society. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Waiting on a tax return? Hopefully it ends up in your hands. Fraudulent tax returns due to identity theft increased by 30% in 2023. If you're in a bind this tax season, LifeLock can help. Our U.S.-based restoration specialists are experts dedicated to helping solve your identity theft issues. And all LifeLock plans are backed by the Million Dollar Protection Package. So we'll reimburse you up to the limits of your plan if you lose money due to identity theft. Help protect your information this tax season with LifeLock. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com aware. Like, they didn't just ban, you know... Now, you might make the decision, ultimately it didn't turn out to be the wisest policy, and eventually people would, would overturn that policy. But it's not like it wasn't a problem. It, it's not like it wasn't a problem that needed some kind of addressing. Marijuana usage is similarly problematic in a lot of ways. It wrecks people's it wrecks people's productivity. It leads to more health problems than the marijuana industry is willing to admit. And it is an industry, okay? Uh, listen. Do you think it's such a coincidence that state after state after state has legalized marijuana when on the one side what people have to gain are venture capitalists who could gain billions of dollars establishing legal marijuana industries in state after state after state. On the other side, you have people with Christian morals who aren't going to make a dime opposing it. So who do you think gets more money? Who do you think it has more impetus behind them? I, I, and furthermore, here we have legal weed here in California. Everything you want, legal recreational pot, legal medical pot, everything you want. And six years along, it's still, we, we have all the public health problems of increased use of marijuana, along with a continuing illegal market with lots of violent bad actors. So we have the absolute worst of both worlds. And it was sold to conservatives with this libertarian-leaning language of, oh, well, people are adults. We have legal alcohol in America. Why not have more legal weed? Like, oh, hey, hey, it's not that bad. It's not habit-forming, other than the people who absolutely refuse to stop smoking weed. Oh, it's, it's totally fine. Oh, look at all the local government revenue we can generate. Every local politician starts peeing their pants at the possibility of getting more local government revenue because that's the main, the, the greatest thing they have in life is new sources of revenue. So it, it legalized pot is, I, I absolutely despise the whole thing. I, I think it was sold to us incorrectly. I think it was sold on the basis of all these promises that have failed to materialize. And I continue to sort of take the position of we should not have legalized it further. It has very, it has very few positive benefits to society. If you were, you know, look, if you're going to say, oh, but it helps people medically. All right. Well, we had medical marijuana. Why did we then legalize recreational marijuana? 
So anyway, I, I'm and, and frankly, I question the medical side of it also and question that there's just a lot of stuff that I question about the whole thing. Anyway, what a massive failure this has been as far as the promise that it would eliminate the illegal market. The illegal market is still incredibly strong in California. When we return, how the Biden administration's student loan debt program is probably going to lose at the Supreme Court and could lose nine to nothing. Next on the John Girardi Show. The John Girardi Show. Power Talk 96.7 and AM 1400. The Biden administration made recently a very subtle change to its federal student loan relief program. It basically that there are certain federal loans that are managed by private banks, but guaranteed by the federal government and others that are directly from the federal government. The people who have student loans managed by these private banks are now no longer going to be eligible for federal student loan relief. Why is this happening? Well, the reason why it's happening is the Biden administration is trying to navigate its way out of potential lawsuits over the student loan relief program. Basically, if you have a bunch of private banks holding these loans and the federal government forgives them, then these banks are going to experience loss. They will have standing to sue the Biden administration for the federal student loan forgiveness program. So as a result, the Biden administration is saying, "Okay, well, uh, we're not going to forgive these people's loans. Now, the problem there is that you have a group of people whose loans are not being forgiven and they would say, hey, how come you're not forgiving our loans? You're forgiving all these other people's loans just because they happen to have them direct from the federal government rather than through this private bank. That's a ridiculous line to draw. There's no difference between our situations. There's still federal loans. Now, this gets to the core problem with the Biden administration's efforts to forgive student loan debt is that it is a legal house of cards. The whole thing is going to come crashing down. So let's let, let me try and explain how the Biden administration did this. All right. And the, the radical reshaping of American law that it kind of represents, which we talked about a little bit yesterday, that the the Obama and Biden legacy, perhaps one of their biggest legal and lawmaking le- legacies, is this legacy of issuing broad, sweeping executive orders premised on kind of iffy legal grounds and see- hoping that it sticks, hoping that this can stay up, seeing how it shakes out in the courts. OK, Obama pioneered this by creating the DACA program, even though he knew, even though he admitted he didn't have the legal authority just to do the DACA program, legalizing the DREAM Act kids, uh, people who came to the United States illegally when they were children. Obama issued the DACA program, gave them legal status. Obama admitted that he didn't have the legal authority to do that on his own prior to losing all of Congress in 2014. Then after losing Congress in 2014, he just did it. And he basically dared the courts to strike it down. And as of now, no court has done so. 
And that paved the way. That that shows a path for an ambitious president who wants to get some stuff done is just issue an executive order. Just do it. Issue an executive order. Premise whatever it is you want to do on some old statute that has some broad language in it justifying whatever it is you want to do and go for it. Now, what did Biden do with the student loan debt relief? Well, for the student loan debt relief, he premised it off this 9-11 era law. I believe it was called the HEROES Act. And the idea behind it is it allows the president to forgive certain kinds of debt in a time of war, invasion, or other national emergency. The idea being, I think, mostly for like military personnel. Well, Biden is justifying forgiving student loan debt based on the other national emergency of COVID, which the Biden administration has been now going around in other contexts saying that COVID's not really a national emergency at this point. So what is it? Is it a national emergency or isn't it? And with that kind of attitude, I mean, I'm not sure how it's possible to have a functioning republic anymore rather than a monarchy. If a president can just find some old statute that authorizes some agency of the federal government to do X, Y, or Z or anything else needful, you know, has, if, if they can find some law that has some, you know, provision in it, some sort of general provision, like uh, the CDC can do, uh, the CDC can do what it needs to do to prevent the spread of disease, such as uh, killing livestock, destroying property, or anything else needful. And on that basis, both President Trump and then President Biden justified the federal eviction moratorium during COVID. Like, I don't think a statute organizing the CDC gives the president the ability to amend every single contract for residents uh, for, for a rental property in the United States of America. I just don't think we should view a statute doing that as giving the president that kind of leeway and that kind of authority. Now, there's a piece in The Atlantic by Jed Sugarman, who's a very left-leaning law professor, who is of the opinion that Biden is going to lose on the student loan debt thing nine to nothing at the Supreme Court. So here's what he writes. The Biden administration's recently announced plan to reduce student debt for borrowers who earn less than $125,000 is popular, according to recent polls. Unfortunately, the plan has a major legal flaw. The administration's arguments for its executive power to make such a broad effort under federal, federal law will likely lose and should lose in the courts. The good news for President Joe Biden and for borrowers is that the administration has time to change those arguments. In conjunction with the announcement of the program, the Office of Legal Counsel of the Department of Justice issued a memo explaining the legal basis for it, the COVID-19 emergency. Unfortunately, no evidence has emerged that the Biden administration is tailoring the program to fit this justification, nor have Biden and his team offered any sign that they are taking seriously the Supreme Court's recent administrative law rulings or its clear skepticism about invoking COVID-19, the COVID-19 emergency as a reason for any far-reaching government program. Now, here's the, the big thing for us to understand. The one thing that's going to stop presidents, I think, from doing this Obama-Biden strategy 
of issue a really broad executive order premised on some random federal statute with some kind of, you know, very generalized clause at the end of it, like uh, the CDC can uh, do what it needs to prevent the spread of disease, such as destroying, uh, destroying property, killing livestock, or anything else needful. The Supreme Court is looking really skeptically at executive actions premised on those kinds of legal provisions. So here's what Sugarman writes about it. However, he writes, a lot of administrative law has changed over the past decade, especially in the last year. The Roberts Court has effectively abandoned what's called Chevron deference. This is named after a former case called Chevron. I guess Chevron was one of the parties talking about the deference that should be given to administrative agencies in interpreting statutes. The Roberts Court has effectively abandoned Chevron deference to the executive branch in questions of, quote, vast economic and political significance. This new approach, known as the major questions doctrine, does not turn on textualism, reading just the words of the statute on their own, but instead emphasizes the context, purposes, and legislative history of the statute. As a matter of theory and common sense, this distinction between major questions and more mundane or technical agency policy makes sense. Judges do not have the time or expertise to dig into the historical details of statutes in many mundane or technical cases, but when the policy is major, the statutory purposes are more readily discoverable, and they must be clear and salient to permit an executive agency to make a major policy change. So basically, the Supreme Court took this viewpoint for like, okay, the the COVID eviction moratorium. The COVID eviction moratorium, again, as I said, it was based on a statute that was authorizing the CDC to take various kinds of needful steps for preventing the transmission of disease, including things like destroying property, destroying livestock, and anything else needful. And it had some kind of provision like that at the end. Trump and then Biden used that last provision to justify a federal eviction moratorium, a nationwide moratorium on evicting any tenant in a rental property. That is not the kind of thing that whoever wrote that Congress, when they wrote that statute, that's not the kind of thing they had in mind. Okay? You cannot go from anything else needful to something that's altering the... The con- you know, the, altering the lease contracts for every single rental property in the United States of America. That just doesn't make sense. At, at, the, at the very least, that's how the Supreme Court viewed it. That you can't take this little random statute that's talking about CDC actions for limiting disease spread and giving the CDC like enormous power over a major segment of the national economy. So that's the idea, is you can't take some random statute and blow it completely out of its proportion. That, I think most people are saying, that is how the court is going to view the student loan relief problem. Here you're looking at a federal statute issued after 9-11. It's clearly aimed at forgiving military debt holders, at assisting in a, in a time of genuine military national security crisis, 
saying that it's provision for in time of uh, military invasion or other emergency, and then saying that the COVID emergency is a sufficient justification, not for forgiving a couple of military members some debt, but forgiving the student loan debt of hundreds of thousands of people, which is going to have like a $40 billion impact on the national economy, it's going to increase inflation. Like the, the idea that the administration, through an executive action, not going to Congress, and and that's kind of the underlying thing for all of this. This is the president trying to do a cheat code to get by the normal way we write laws in America, which is the House and the Senate vote on a law and the president signs it. Presidents don't want to have to wait around for Congress to agree on something because Congress often disagrees and it's very difficult to get legislation passed through Congress, especially on a politically hot topic like student loan debt relief. So the president just wants to do it himself. And I think the Supreme Court's going to tell him, no, you, you can't use some random statute from 20 years ago that obviously is in no way tailored to student loan debt relief, which is its own total category. This is a law that had to do with military debt, military debt holders in a time of war, in a time of national emergency. And you're blowing this out of proportion in a way that's going to have a massive impact on the whole country. No, that cannot be. And now the Biden administration is trying to change things around specifically so people can't sue them for it, which might actually give more people the ability to sue. Basically, they're going to try to exclude people whose student loan debt is held by private banks which could lead to all of those people who are now excluded themselves suing the federal government, saying, hey, it's arbitrary that you're forgiving the student loan debts of these people, but not us. So I, I don't I, I am starting to suspect that the Biden student loan debt relief program is not long for this world. When we return, my wife, Holly Girardi, the ultimate judge of character next on The John Girardi Show. The John Girardi Show, Power Talk, 96.7 and AM 1400. My wife, Holly, is a, she is a censorious person. She's a, a, a person who holds a real grudge for people who have committed various kinds of ethical violations. Not that I'm not, uh, but she really is, uh, Holly never forgot the whole Ben Roethlisberger possible sexual assault thing. Uh, Holly never forgot Tom Brady leaving Bridget Moynihan when she was pregnant with his kid uh, to go for Giselle Bündchen. Uh, Holly never forgets. She, she She's like an elephant in that regard, man. She never forgets. Now, Holly despises Rob Bonta. And it's not even for, I mean... It's mostly because she somehow accidentally got on the Attorney General Rob Bonta's email list. And she just cannot get over how idiotic it is that an adult man in his mid-40s, I'm guessing, who is the Attorney General of California, so the chief law enforcement official in California after the governor, that he sends out... This weekly email thing, which includes a TikTok of the week. Now, I don't have TikTok. Holly doesn't have TikTok. We're adults. 
the the idea that a that a California public official, including a public official, again, as I mentioned before, a public official charged with law enforcement is sending out these stupid, obviously pandering to young people little messages with, with a TikTok video in it. When TikTok itself is like all of these national security problems and Chinese security problems, like it, it's it's completely bizarre. I, I'm really going to have to work on Holly here just as far as she, she cannot understand, just as a Midwesterner herself, California politics is the most dispiriting thing possible for her. So that'll do it for John Girardi Show. See you next time on Power Talk. The John Girardi Show, Power Talk 96.7, AM 1400, and the iHeartRadio app. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.